Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Kia ora e huma. Ko Heather Amy Bevis Tokawingoa. Welcome to Windsor Park today. My name is Heather Amy Bevis. Today we are reading from the final chapter of Romans. We've been in this amazing book of Paul's all year and we've dived deep and discussed wide. And now we're starting chapter 16. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you've been teaching us. Lord, we're so aware that you are continuing to grow us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be open to your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name. So, chapter 16, the conclusion and greetings of this book of Romans. To set the scene, in ancient Greco-Roman times, you finished a letter by greeting the people by name. It's a bit like a pepeha when you recite all your family background to make connections across iwi and hapu. Paul is calling out to those he knows and loves so that the people that don't know him can make connections with him too. I need to let you know that mainly Paul is greeting 26 names, but there are some really powerful things in those 26 names that you may not have realized. Some of these names here were profound revelation for me that really did change the direction of my life. So let's play a little game of Where's Wally? And as we read together the names, see if you can work out who and what it is that was so critical for me. Romans 16.1 begins, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many including me. Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet the church that meets at their house. Greet my friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Sacchis. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test of time. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who were in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Philegon, 
Hermes, Protobus, Hermas and the others and brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerissus and his sister, and Olympus and all the people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. 26 names and a holy kiss. How do we understand what was being said then and what God is saying to us now? We believe the Bible was written for us and that it's for everyone of all time and places because it is God's inspired word. But it wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture or worldview in mind. So how do we read these 26 names in this greeting? If we want to really understand it, we need to try to enter their world, hear it as the audience would have heard it, and as the author would have meant it, and read it on those terms. When you read the text, you need to ask what was happening in the world of the text. You have to think of the context that the scripture came from. What situation was the writer into? And then what does it mean for the reader today in the 21st century? But what happens if you don't do that? I was brought up in a fantastic church in the late 70s where my family were profoundly changed by encountering the reality of God's love and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But my church had a blind spot. When they read the text, they went straight from the text written 2,000 years ago to the reader today with very little thought about the context it was written in. They looked at two particular texts that said women are not to lead or to teach, but they didn't look at what was happening in the church of Corinth or the false teachings in the church of Ephesus that Paul was writing to. It's like listening to one half of the telephone conversation and coming to a conclusion and seeing the whole thing through that conclusion. By not understanding both parts of the conversation, they said, women are not to teach. Women are not to have authority over men. Women are not to be deacons or elders. And then a theologian from Laidlaw taught us on Romans 16, 1 to 16, and more. So, I commend to you Phoebe. Now, this Phoebe is from Friends, and I love her, but that is not the Phoebe that we're talking about. Romans 16.1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Phoebe is given a letter to carry to the church in Rome. Why does Paul go out of his way to commend the letter carrier? A letter carrier in the ancient world did more than just carry the letter. They were often responsible to explain the contents and the intent of the author. Paul gives her credence by calling out her authority in the church in Corinth. Phoebe is a diaconess of the church in Centria. It is a term that means deacon, servant and minister. In Romans 15, he calls Jesus a diaconess and himself one too. Paul also says she is a prosetasis. Translated as benefactor, this means to care, aid, direct, present over, and be a patron. Paul says she is his patron. Phoebe was a leader in her church, entrusted by Paul to be a courier to share and explain this incredibly significant letter. 
Romans 16.3 Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet the church that meets in their house. Priscilla and Aquila also mentioned in the book of Acts, Romans, and 2 Timothy. Normally in ancient documents, the male's name would come first. Name order was incredibly important and a status in the ancient world. In the New Testament, when they talked about this couple as tent makers with Paul, it was always Aquila and Priscilla. But when they talked about them as teachers in the church, it was always Priscilla and Aquila. Another example was in Acts 18 when Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos, a man, scripture so that he could be a better preacher. The name order was so countercultural that you have to know it was intentional by Paul and by Luke in the book of Acts to reflect who had the lead role as they taught the church that met at their house. Now, Romans 16, 7. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Here is a husband and wife team who are apostles and receive the highest marks, and she is called outstanding among the apostles. Because of the significant theological weight of this verse, since the Middle Ages it had been interpreted as a male named Junius, but there was no such name in the ancient literature. The ancient church fathers of the first century, not known for their feminist leanings, consistently understood Paul to refer to Junia, a woman, who was a missionary and who planted churches and pastored them, just as Paul did. In Romans 16, Paul greets ten women, and out of those he calls seven colleagues and co-workers, which is more than the males mentioned. Here are women evangelizing, pioneering, teaching, pastoring, and taking on leadership roles. These women weren't just teaching the children and making cups of tea. But over the centuries when the Bible has been interpreted, these women have played down or ignored. Women leading roles at such a grassroots level was so countercultural in the Greco-Roman and Jewish world. It was a patriarchal society. Men did what they wanted. Wives and daughters were strictly controlled as initially under the authority of their father and then their husband. In the Greco-Roman world, Aristotle's view was the female body was deficient, as was her mind. He questioned, did women have souls? Josephus, the ancient historian, said that woman was in all things inferior to men. The ancient world the church was born into was incredibly impressive to women. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus was not. We know that he had woman disciples who sat at his feet to learn. Scandalous. We know he touched and spoke one-on-one with and healed women, just as he did men. His loving encounters with the Samaritan woman, the healing of the woman who bled for years, the restoration of the woman caught in adultery, and so many others. Jesus chose women to be his first witnesses and evangelists at his resurrection when in the Jewish culture they were considered too unreliable to speak in the court of law. When the Holy Spirit fell on the upper room in Acts 2, women and men received the Holy Spirit, being commissioned to go out and make disciples. This is so amazing. Jesus as the Son of God was renewing God's original intent in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 1 and 2, it says together they make up the image of God. There was no hierarchy of roles, and the aim of the biblical narrative is one of partnership, 
men and women as co-workers creating with God in God's garden. As Dr. Nija Gupta writes, the ultimate redemptive hopes of scripture and the gospel is not that man will find his rightful place over woman, it is the good news that man and woman can be restored to healthy partnership where each one is given dignity and respect. And as they each bring their gifts and wisdom towards a corporate tending of God's world. So let's turn our attention to some of these other 26 names. The list reveals distinctions of race. There are Jewish names, Greek names, Roman names. Right at the beginning of the Book of Romans, we saw how Paul is writing to ease the tension between Jews and Gentiles, reminding them we are saved by faith, not by race or by earning our salvation. It is a free gift from God. We also see in Romans 16 distinctions of class. A few of those names are known nobles who were very wealthy and of high status, but most of the names of low-born slaves and freedmen. You see, around 30% of the Greco-Roman society were slaves. The whole system was bought on oppression. Slaves were classed as property and alongside animals with no voice or little rights. In the status and conscious orientated society, race and rank and gender did not mix for fear of being tainted. There was a prayer of thanksgiving that Jews and Paul would have known. It went, Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Yet here in the Church of Rome was the visualization of the new kingdom of Jesus, of Gentile slaves and women working together. Paul turned that prayer on its head in Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And that's it. That's the crunch in Christ. In Christ or in the Lord is said 11 times in these 16 verses. It's because the church in Rome is in Christ. They are living so diametrically differently to the world around them. You see, they met Jesus and they are changed. They've gone from being told they are of lesser value in their own culture and have been presented with a kingdom of Jesus where they are in the family of God, a totally new and opposite way of living. All are in union with Jesus. All are valued and equal. All are gifted to serve God in whatever way God has enabled them. So what's the application for us today? When I saw how women actually functioned in the church in Rome because they followed the example of Jesus and how he valued women, I was in awe of Jesus in a whole new way. He wasn't coerced by his culture, but showed what the kingdom of God really looked like. It changed my identity and I was set free to be who God had made me to be. I could serve, I could lead, I could teach because he has gifted me to do that. He sees me, he loves me and values me equally. I'm not afraid. I am in Christ. I am his and he is mine. And Christ means to be united with him in a way that shapes one's identity and directs the purpose of your life. In is a positional word. This piece of chalk is surrounded by the water and the water begins to change the chalk. If you crack it open, you'll see that it has got in. 
And that's what happens when we live in Christ. He changes us. You now have a new identity where you're not marked by your past wrongs or shortcomings. You are forgiven and made right with Christ. Being in Christ implies an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus. You depend on Jesus for guidance. It involves you walking with him daily and allowing him to shape you daily. It also involves walking with others who are in Christ, as the church in Romans shows us. Being in Christ means being transformed. As the water gets into that chalk, the love of Jesus changes me. It changes my priorities and the way I live my life. And that is his invitation in Romans 16. See how they are changed. We are changed too. So we're now going to take some time to sit with some peace and ask ourselves some questions. We're taking some time because if we want to grow in Christ, if we want to change and be transformed, we have to take the impact of this truth and reflect on it and then live in it. What does it mean for me today to be in Christ? What picture do I see? What words and ideas stand out for me when I think about being in Christ? And how has being in Christ transformed me? For me, it's a picture of swimming totally surrounded in the sea of God's love. I am completely loved by God. I have on a cloak of Jesus' righteousness, not mine. And my house for my husband, Alan, it's a new identity. It's not his old identity is gone, but Jesus has restored and renewed him. Or maybe you don't know Jesus yet. His invitation is here. He invites you to know him. He invites you to imagine what it would like to be in Christ. So please reach out to have a conversation with your host online. We're just going to take some time now. Together we are going to sing that amazing worship song in Christ alone. It's a strong declaration of the incredible things that go on for us as we are in Christ.
Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.